Hey my friends, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Garg Show. This show is for people who want to live a life of excellence, love and joy. My mission is to bring awareness about transformation and healing. My job on the show is to sit with the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Every Friday, I share an exclusive email to the newsletter subscribers. and this newsletter captures my weekly learnings in the forms of books i'm reading blogs and articles i'm enjoying recent podcast updates and much much more you can find the newsletter link at my website https://nishantgarg.me n i s h a n t g a r g.me this episode is not an interview format so here is a back story in the second week of april 2021 I was feeling deep emotional pain and heartache. I have been in the process of understanding and uncovering my own childhood issues and trauma. I had heard Dr. Gabor Mate and other legendaries mention about parent-child attachments during early years and how it shapes our relationships with ourselves and with others when we grow older. I searched the keyword attachment on Spotify and this new podcast from Lisa Scott popped up. As I started listening, I was completely thrilled and it resonated me so much that I could go back to my childhood and see some deep things with less resistance and better clarity. I reached out to Lisa Scott and asked her to publish her attachment series on this podcast. The series has four parts: anxious attachment style, fearful avoidant attachment, dismissive avoidant and secure attachment. And the goal is to be secure. So who is Lisa Scott? Lisa Scott is a licensed professional counselor and host of her own podcast, What's Next with Lisa Scott. Lisa is well known for her solution-based and client-focused style of therapy. Aside from hosting her own podcast, she owns a private practice and is a professor of psychology. With over 15 years of experience as a mental health professional and experience ranging from crisis intervention in a clinical setting to working with families and individuals Lisa's passion and focus remains on empowering people to establish healthy loving relationships not only with themselves but with others in their life you can connect with Lisa at what's next with Lisa on Instagram again you can find Lisa at what's next with Lisa on Instagram and without further ado please enjoy this four part attachment series with Lisa Scott Hey empty next to what's up it's Lisa and it has been a while a little over a week to be exact but welcome to it episode 20 today is July 15th uh 2020 and I'm so excited to be back with you I've missed doing this I took a little over a week off to have some family time and just rest but I have been reading your questions and emails and I want to just tell you guys thanks for listening and thanks for hanging in there. And I'm excited about today because today actually kicks off my series about attachment styles. And if you listen to previous episodes, you know I talked a lot about how we were parented and how that can affect us later in adult life and how those foundations that we have in childhood might affect some patterns or things that we do in adulthood and how to work through that. But I've been getting a lot of questions about relationships and rightfully so. I mean, they take up a lot of our 
a lot of our life and they're a big investment and they're difficult to navigate. And so what I really wanted to do is kick off a series and talk about how we attach in relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, and give you guys some information to be self-aware and to maybe use to hopefully get to a place of a more secure attachment. So secure attachment being ideal. There's four different attachment styles that we fall into as humans. The first one is the one we're going to talk about today, and that is anxious attachment. The second one is what we call fearful avoidant. The third is dismissive avoidant. And then the fourth is the one we all strive for, which is secure. And today we're going to get into anxious attachment. And I'm going to talk about what is it? How does it look? How does it actually affect your relationships and you as an individual? But I'm also going to give you tips to overcome it. And I think that's what's so important is that there's nothing wrong if you're an anxious attacher. That came from somewhere and it's your subconscious brain trying to protect you. But the challenge is to work through that. So I'm going to get into that and hopefully help you overcome some of this anxiety that you have at the start of new relationships. But before we get into that, I've missed it. Let's get back to it. Here's the official what's next question and answer. Hey, what's next? Hey, what's Okay, empty nexters. So here it is. Um, like I said, I've been off for a week, but I've still been reading and responding to your questions. And one that I've been getting a lot of, or a theme that I've been getting a lot of, is what should I do in relationships? So sort of general, hey, what should I do if this has happened? And that's part of the reason I wanted to do this series. And on the last episode, about a week ago, episode 19, I talked about a fear of commitment actually equaling a fear of yourself. And I tried to help you guys navigate that a bit. And so I thought this question was a good one to share. And the question is this, Lisa, I cheated on my girlfriend after a year of being together and I really want her to forgive me. She's having a hard time trusting me and I don't know how to reestablish trust. Do you think relationships can make it through cheating? I don't even really know why I cheated. Is it my fear of commitment or was I trying to self-sabotage? And cheating is a tricky one. It's a tough one and it can be a deal breaker for a lot of people. And so the first thing I want to remind you is that cheating isn't necessarily always about the other person that you're in the relationship with. A lot of times it actually has to do more with not liking who you've become in the relationship or not liking how you're showing up in the relationship. So yeah, maybe subconsciously or even consciously you look for other avenues to get out. And because cheating's a deal breaker, a lot of people go for the big deal breaker. Um, You know, and the second thing is, is that if I want to remind you that if you're not connected to yourself, it's going to be really hard to fully connect to somebody else. So I want you to stop and check in and say, am I really connected with myself? Do I know what I want? Do I like how I'm showing up in this relationship more often than not? And then letting that be the guide for what you do next with that relationship. And I will say, lastly, to answer your question about the, um, you know, can relationships make it through cheating? It's not always the end. I have counseled couples that make it because it takes two people that want to work through it and get to the bottom of why it happened. 
And it takes two people committed to moving forward and healing and figuring things out and also figuring out where the cracks were to begin with. And so that's a really important thing. Do I think they can make it? I do. Um, I think if two people are willing to take a look at it and say, what happened? Where were the cracks? And how do we do this? And you know, regarding the trust, I will say too that that's something that you're going to have to accept responsibility for. And if she's not ready to trust you or she just needs more time, I would, my advice to you would be to respect that and give her the space she needs and take a look and check in with yourself at how you were showing up in the relationship and, and figure out where the cracks were. So if it is another relationship down the road, you don't make the same mistake twice because I can tell by the tone of your email that doesn't feel good. So I hope that helps. Um, if you guys have questions, email me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at what's next with Lisa. You can DM me there. I list show topics and other little nuggets of information. So check out my social media pages. Tell a friend. Um, and let's get into today's episode. I'm excited to bring this one to you guys. And so today we're going to talk about anxious attachment regarding how you enter relationships. And Anxious attachment typically means that you have basically in a nutshell a hard time feeling calm, especially when you start a relationship. You might notice things like you're prone to jealousy, you're super insecure about the relationship, or maybe you're clingy, um, or maybe you even jump in really fast. So you find somebody you like and then you just want to go all in super fast and the theory, you know, behind that is that you're anxiously attaching to somebody looking for validation that they want to choose you or that you're enough. And, you know, a lot of people say that this style or this anxiety starts in childhood. And usually it does because you had a caregiver or somebody in your life that either left you or didn't show up for you emotionally. And so you continue to feel like you had to prove yourself and that morphs into adulthood into feeling anxious when there's something at stake like a relationship and so you know you you also form your expectations as a child about your relationship and so how you think somebody should show up for you as a child whether you realize it or not you tend to carry that into adulthood so those are some things to be aware of And if you think that you're anxiously attaching to people, odds are you basically just have some fears and insecurities that haven't been tended to. And when you start a relationship or are even sometimes in it for a while, if you notice that you're starting to feel insecure or you think things like the littlest fight or disagreement are going to lead to a breakup um, or that if they take a while to text you back that they're not showing up for you or validating you, um, that makes you feel insecure, unstable in the relationship. Those are unrealistic expectations of a relationship and it's time for you to check in and say, okay, am I committed to myself? Do I have an inner child here that needs to be loved and made feel safe? And let me look at this relationship and this person objectively. Because when you default to whether it be a a hurt in the past from a different relationship or your childhood, you default right back to your history and you're not showing up for present day, which means that a lot of relationships that you start probably end pretty quickly because your expectations are probably a little off the mark you come off as maybe a little clingy and it's not you're not bad you don't have bad intentions 
you have this inner child or this hurt person inside that just wants to feel like they're enough. And it's actually a really sad attachment um, because I think it's just your your inner child or the, the person um, inside that feels hurt yearning to be accepted. And so, you know, another thing, that, another common thing that people do who anxiously attach, like I said, is to jump really fast into relationships. And on some level, I think what they're trying to do is secure that attachment quickly or they get really excited about meeting someone that they click with and so they look for validation or any sign that they like them too. So maybe they'll text them a lot, seeing if they'll text them back to see if they like them too. They're looking for outward signs. And, you know, some might even say, go as far to say that anxiously attaching is a coping mechanism to soothe your anxiety. So when you anxiously attach and you're texting a lot or you're being really needy, that might be a coping mechanism to feel validated in the relationship. So you leap and rather than getting curious and allowing yourself the opportunity to be the chooser, not the chosen, and looking at this person to see if there's someone you even really want to invest in, that all gets thrown out the window when your primary objective is to just get chosen. And I, I want to say that again, be the chooser, not the chosen. And so if you find yourself jumping into relationships or chasing people, hoping that they pick you, I would tell you that you might be anxiously attaching. And if you're feeling insecure or you feel like you need a lot of validation or a lot of, you know, verbal affirmation that they want to be in this relationship, you're probably anxiously attaching and you're insecure somewhere um, in yourself. And so along the same lines, if you're, if you're in a relationship, if you've been in a relationship for a while and you're just always nervous that they're going to leave, maybe you get jealous over really innocent interactions. Um, you might be insecure in that relationship and anxiously attaching, which is exhausting. I don't want you in a relationship where you're just anxious and fearful all the time that that person's going to leave. And so what do you do about it? Let's get into it. The first thing I want you to do is identify it and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm doing this. And I want you to get real honest with yourself about how you feel and how you're attaching to people. You guys, it's okay if you're anxiously attaching. That means somewhere someone hurt you along the way and you didn't get what you were worthy of. And so the first thing to do is to be soft and compassionate with yourself and say, I'm anxiously attaching to people and it's exhausting and I don't want to do it. I want to find a secure connection. And so to do that, the first step is to, number one, get honest with yourself, but also to look back and think of a time, you know, was it your parents who didn't emotionally show up for you Um, or to meet your, you know, they didn't meet your emotional needs, maybe by your caregivers, maybe by a previous relationship, who left you and left a mark on your subconscious where you thought this person's going to leave and I'm not enough or I'm not worthy. That's when you probably started to fear being left or not being good enough. And so what you started to do was learn to try to please people and be super interesting and be the chosen rather than being the one who empowers yourself to choose Sit back and watch and see if this is a person you want to be with and to be interested versus interesting. And to do that, you've got to connect to your confidence. Like I said, I want you to be the chooser, not the chosen. And I want you to 
actively choose a relationship and understand that not everyone you meet needs to be dated. Not everyone you meet needs to be the one. This is a process. And so you've got to connect to your confidence and your worth and say, wait a minute, I'm a catch. I'm a catch. And yes, I'm human. And yes, I have stuff that isn't perfect. However, I'm not going to chase anyone. I'm going to sit back and watch and see if I want to invest in them. And you've got to understand that, you know, bringing insecurity and anxiety to a relationship means you're clouding your judgment and you're not observing the proper things. So when you're overcome with insecurity and anxiety, you get so focused on just being chosen that you throw out the window even monitoring the right things to like catch red flags, right? And so a lot of times when you get out of a relationship, you look back on it and you think, oh my God, how did I miss that red flag? Well, probably because you were so focused on just being chosen that that stuff went right over your head and you didn't even acknowledge it. So it's important to be mindful that the other thing sitting back and being the chooser does is gives you an opportunity to make a really empowered, good decision about who you're investing in. And the other thing that I want to say is that if you meet somebody that you click with and you're really excited about them, I think that's amazing. And I want you to let yourself be excited. I don't want you denying yourself the gift of butterflies and meeting somebody new. That is exciting. I'm not saying don't get excited. Get excited because it is a gift and it's part of the it's part of dating that actually makes it somewhat fun. And so I don't want you denying yourself that. But what I but I want but what I want you to do while you're excited is to maintain a level head and start running through this checklist I'm gonna give you, which is kind of a list for yourself to stay on track and be an empowered chooser while also being excited and getting butterflies. And so the first thing I want you to ask when you meet somebody that you're excited about is, all right, is this person ready for the kind of relationship that I want? And so the first thing you have to know there is, what do you want? What kind of relationship is it that you want? You don't know? Sit down and think about it. It's an important thing to think about and to go into dating knowing what it is you want. Because don't forget, Mixed signals are still signals. So if you meet somebody and you click with them and you're sitting down for dinner and they flat out tell you, you know, yeah, I don't ever see myself getting married or having kids and you think challenge accepted. No, don't think challenge accepted. They are showing you what they're capable of. You've got to listen to it. And don't think that just with time they'll change their mind. I'm telling you, if this is the kind of stuff that comes out on date one or two, you have a responsibility to yourself to pay attention, okay? Especially if they are already doing the whole, yeah, I know for sure I don't ever want it. You guys, find somebody that aligns with your values and worldview and invest in them. And the second thing is, and here's the deal, we're all human. We're all adults, which means we all have some kind of baggage or crap that we've been through. And so I'm not saying don't have it. I'm saying take responsibility for it. So what you want to do is listen to what their baggage is, if they have some, and pretty much make sure they're taking responsibility for it. What are they doing about it so it doesn't affect your relationship? You know, they're accountable for their history, just like you're accountable for yours. And, you know, the other things I I always recommend to pay attention to is do they blame or talk crap about all their exes? 
I mean, that's kind of a red flag to me that if every ex was terrible, they can't take responsibility for anything. And that's not the kind of person that you really want to get into a relationship with, my opinion. Um, You've got to do what's best for you. And then the last thing I, I touched on was pay attention, you know, do your values align? Um, you're, those things that become gut feelings or those things that are kind of like eyebrow raisers typically as a relationship goes on becomes red flags. Those things usually become deal breakers. And so your main goal is to watch and monitor and be in touch with your confidence and your worth and what you need and have fun. You've got to have fun. And if you meet somebody and they're not calling you back for two weeks at a time and that's not what you want, then empower yourself to say, this isn't what I want. Don't sit around and wait for them anxiously hoping to be chosen. Be mindful of the fact when you start to get anxious. And if you need to check in, that's okay once in a while. However, don't sit around and wait for anybody. You are worth so much more than that. And the right person is going to want to be with you too because your values and mindsets are going to align. So keep dating and keep connecting to your confidence until you find what fits and what feels good. So I hope that helps kind of break down anxious attachment. If you guys have questions, email me what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. On Friday's episode, we're actually going to talk about fearful avoidant attachment and You'd actually be surprised how many people struggle with this and actually self-sabotage relationships. And so a lot of us do it to ourselves, but I think what I hear most of all is that a lot of us are dating somebody that's fearful, avoidant. So tune in Friday, get some tips on that, get some information on that to empower yourself to do a little bit better when you're dating. And you guys, it's so good to be back. So take care of yourselves and don't forget that today's a perfect day to ask yourselves, what's next? See ya. Hey guys, it's Lisa, and you're listening to What's Next with Lisa. Welcome to episode 21. Today's July 17th, 2020. And today we're going to be talking about fearful avoidant attachment. So this is installment two of the attachment series that I started on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I spoke about anxious attachment style and all the problems and anxiety that that can bring to our adult relationships. And today we're going to move forward to one that we don't hear a lot about And that is called fearful avoidant attachment. And the thing that's so tricky about this attachment style is that in the beginning of a relationship, it seems like everything's fine because people with this type of attachment style desire closeness. And they just have this wall up or this fear of intimacy that makes it really difficult to get the connection they long for. So their subconscious is wired to be afraid of intimacy. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into what it looks like and some tips to overcome it and how to spot it also in someone you're dating. So we'll get into all that in just a minute. But first, let's get over to the official what's next question and answer. Hey, what's next?
Okay, empty nexters. So here's the official what's next question and answer. And like I said a little bit earlier, on Wednesday's episode, I talked I talked about anxiously attaching and how that can actually cloud your judgment and disconnect you from yourself to the point where you're not making great choices when it comes to investing in people and relationships. So I thought this was a really good question that I thought a lot of us can actually really relate to. And the question is this. Hi, Lisa. I have a history of people pleasing and trying to do all I can for people I'm in a relationship with. At times, I don't feel appreciated and I'm wondering if this is the same as anxiously attaching. And I think this is such a great question because a lot of times the lines between being kind and giving and trying to do thoughtful, nice things, that line can get blurred between being a people pleaser slash anxiously attaching and looking for that validation. And that line gets blurred a lot because you wonder, okay, so what's too much? What's not enough? And so what I'm going to tell you is that intention matters. And I want you to check in with yourself. And before you do something, For a significant other, I want you to say, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for them? So if you're doing it for you, I want you to check in and say, am I doing this to be enough or to get picked or to feel worthy or to get in their good graces? Or am I just genuinely doing something out of the kindness of my heart? Because intention matters. If your intention is to get validated or to feel like you're enough and to get chosen, that's the wrong intention. That means you're anxiously attaching. And the fact that you say people-pleasing, that tells me that you actually might be trying to be the chosen or to get picked. And so you think if you do enough or say all the right things that um, someone's going to say yes and, and pick you. And so yes, that is a form of anxious attachment. So intention matters. Check in with yourself and ask what your intention is. And the last thing I want to say about this is that it's okay to do for people. It's okay to be generous and kind and support them, but not with the intention of making yourself worthy. You're worthy whether you do anything or not. You're lovable. You're valuable whether you do all the nice things or none of the nice things. And so definitely check in with yourself and have an honest conversation before you start to people please, or even if you catch yourself doing it, stop yourself and check in and attempt to say, what's my intention here? And feeling confident and feeling secure in your worth and who you are is going to help you deviate from this behavior. And so I hope that helps. If you guys have questions, email me at whatsnextwithlisa at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at whatsnextwithlisa. And I'm happy to answer all of your questions. I'm here for you guys. So send me your questions. Send me your feedback on the podcast. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, let's get into today's topic. This is the second episode in my attachment series, and we are going to be talking about fearful avoidant attachment style, which definitely sounds like a mouthful, but when I boil this down for you and tell you what it is, I think a lot more people than we think are going to actually say, oh my God, I'm dating this, or oh my God, I do this, and it's a lot more common than you think. So let's start with what I always say. Let's start with what we know for sure. And what we know for sure about children who um, have their needs met emotionally and they grow up in a supportive environment are much more likely to develop 
a secure, emotionally strong personality, which lends itself to developing a secure attachment in relationships. People who develop a fearful, avoidant personality actually have that desire for closeness. So when you meet them, or even when you meet somebody, you'll think, yeah, I want this. I want a relationship. And then all of a sudden, when you're seeking out intimacy and it gets a little too deep or it takes a little too much to maintain that deep connection, that's where people with fearful avoidant attachment get stuck because they tend to withdraw, they tend to get scared and pull back because it feels really unsafe for them. And I always think it's important to talk about why this happens and this kind of attachment style is usually because Their attachment experiences, your attachment experiences, have taught you to be afraid of intimacy. Usually it's your subconscious brain. Well, it is your subconscious brain being afraid of intimacy. And so a lot of times they'll reject close bonds. Uh, They typically have a history of rocky rocky relationships. So lots of ups and downs, lots of emotional highs and lows. And when somebody that you're dating or somebody that they're dating wants more commitment or greater intimacy, people with that fearful avoidance start to withdraw. And a lot of times people think that it's something that they've done. Why is this person ghosting me? Why is this person all of a sudden leaving? I thought everything was going great. Well, yeah, because people with this attachment style desire intimacy and closeness, but when it actually gets real and they're faced with it, they don't know what to do. And a lot of times you can go back to their childhood, how their emotional needs were met, if they were berated a lot by their parents or made to feel silly um, or not enough or less than when they expressed themselves or did something to try to be unique and be themselves and that was met with resistance from their parents or if they were made fun of, that's going to cause somebody to be fearful avoidant because what they're afraid of is expressing themselves and getting to a deeper place of intimacy. And typically that's because somewhere along the line, whether it's childhood or another abusive relationship that berated somebody, typically what happens is people get afraid to give too much. So they put this wall up. But they're still human. We still desire that. A lot of us all really still want to find a person. And so that's what's so hard about this attachment style is that the desire and the intention is there. But when things get a little too real, your subconscious brain kicks in and says, oh, you better get out of here. This doesn't feel safe. And so, you know, other things that that tend to emotionally block these people or how their relationships look would be... They, like I said, they've got lots of highs and lows or really stormy emotional relationships. They've got, they're usually the one that says they're conflicted about what they want. Um, They've got a tendency to seek out lots of faults. So if you're like nitpicking and looking for a way to self-sabotage that relationship or having like a resistance to commitment, that's your subconscious brain kicking in and saying, hey, how can we get out of this and justify it? So we don't have to actually say we're afraid, but we can look for a reason and self-sabotage because that feels safer than letting the wall down and letting someone in and risking getting hurt. And a lot of times these relationships are really unpredictable. Um, and they, this type of attachment style, like I said, they tend to withdraw when things get emotional. And so there's really no set timeline on how a relationship progresses. That's why it's, it's unpredictable because as soon as it gets a little too deep, 
they're out. And these are also people that tend to seek out or say that they all they want are friends with benefits or casual sex because that's minimal investment for them. And it feels safe for them on some level. But again, deep down, they're desiring that closeness and intimacy. So they're really conflicted. And just like everyone else walking around, they're human and they desire that intimacy. But as I said, that subconscious part of their brain kicks in and says, this is not safe. So they ghost you or they get out of there really quickly. And it's not a great place to be. It ends up hurting a lot of people. And, you know, I think we've all dated someone who you think that everything's going along fine. They're telling you that they really care about you and things feel great. And then all of a sudden, you know, a month or two or three months in, they just start pulling back and and withdrawing. And we take that really personally. And my my best advice for you would be to take a look at the situation and see if this is an emotional block with that person just not being able to commit because that says a lot more about them than it does you. And while we tend to take that personally, that's their stuff that they need to work on, not you. And so if your intention is to have a relationship that leads to a commitment or a serious relationship, dating somebody with fearful avoidant attachment it's going to be really difficult to do and you're going to have to be pretty patient and create a pretty safe space for them to share. But have no fear. We can change this. You can change any attachment style that you have, whether it be from childhood or other relationships. The first part is just acknowledging it and being mindful of it and then putting some action steps in place to do better. And the first thing that I want to challenge you all to do is to check in and ask yourself what experiences may have caused you to be afraid so if you're the one with fearful avoidant attachment what in your history has caused you to be afraid and the first thing you've got to do is acknowledge them and then come forward into a conscious present to push through this fear so if you look back and think gosh, when I tried to be myself or tried to speak my mind, my parents minimized me or made me feel silly. Or maybe you dated somebody that was emotionally abusive and you learned that it wasn't safe to share and that that was used against you in some way. So experiences like this are what tend to shape that subconscious part of your brain into being afraid to share. And that's where your roadblock comes up. That's where the emotional roadblock stops you from getting too intimate or stops the person you're dating from getting too intimate. And it takes a lot of self-reflection to look back and figure out what made you afraid to share. So I want to go through some things that can help you to overcome this. And the first thing that I want to remind you of is not to put too much pressure on yourself to be an open book. One thing I always say is that relationships are not depositions. You don't owe anybody anything, especially your story. You don't give somebody your story that can't take care of it. And so you've got to share with people who can take care of your story and be a bit more open with you and give you some patience and time as you work through this. The other thing you need to do is create a safe space for yourself to be okay, to connect to your own story and have confidence in that and accept that whether someone gives you the response you desire or not, you're still confident with your own story. You're still confident with who you are as a person 
And you can only trust somebody as much as you trust yourself to be okay, which I think is a really important point to make. When you have a fear of sharing or a fear of intimacy, it's typically because you have a fear of getting hurt or you have a fear of being judged or you have a fear of your story being used against you in an abusive way. And the way to circumvent that is to have confidence in who you are and to be very connected to your worth and value yourself and your feelings. You've got to trust your gut and trust yourself to be a good communicator. If this is somebody you're dating, then these kind of character if they if somebody you're dating has these characteristics, I think it's really important to note here that unless they are aware of what the problem is and they want to work through their struggle to to get to a deeper commitment with you, all you can do really is provide a safe place for them to share and try not to put too much pressure on them to do so. That being said though, unless they are actively working on it, you've got a bit of an uphill battle because a lot of these folks just stay stuck where they are and then they withdraw and go on to the next relationship. And then you start thinking, well, why her, not me? Or why him, not me? And this really is work that they have to do on their own. So being in touch with the kind of commitment you want and the kind of communication you want is extremely important. You've got to understand that this isn't yours to fix. They have to want it as well. And if they want it as well and they know that it's an issue and want to work through it, the best advice I can give you is to create a space of patience and safety as they share. Give them some time to work through this and to open up. And as long as they're actively trying that's sometimes all you can ask for. And I'm not saying it's going to, it should take them years and years, but give them a little bit of time to open up because acknowledging it and trying to work through it sometimes is the hardest part. The other thing you can do for yourself, if it's you struggling with this, is to make sure that you're setting and respecting boundaries while communicating. So allow some space for yourself or your partner to set boundaries surrounding how much you're actually going to share. Have an idea of what feels good and what you want to share going into it. It's okay if you have to plan it out. This is tough stuff because you're used to hiding things. You're used to just disconnecting when things get difficult. And the last thing I want to remind you all of is to be patient with yourselves. Be patient with yourselves as you figure this out. As I said earlier, intention matters. And if your intention is to form a secure attachment, you've got to remember that growth takes time. Growth is not always linear. So the more you can soften the edges around how you think about yourself and the more patience and love you can give yourself as you work through this and resolve some of the wounds of your past, the better off you're going to be. If you're putting a ton of pressure on yourself to get over this or to work through it and to resolve your past hurts, you're just making things much more difficult on yourself and it's all going to feel so much more difficult than if you just take a breath and take a step back and say, how can I soften my approach to myself? How can I make my internal dialogue one of love and acceptance and heal the wounds that happened in my past and give myself the love that I needed in the past and then bring that love to the present moment because when you 
default to this type of attachment style, similar to anxious attachment style, you are automatically defaulting to the past. You're defaulting to your past hurts and to the people that hurt you in the past. And you're, because your subconscious brain says, you know, oh my God, we've got to protect our person. We've got to protect our person. But it's wrong. And that's why it's so important to take a step back when you meet somebody new and remember that you want to be interested, not interesting. You want to take a step back and run down your checklist and say, is this person somebody I even really want to invest in? The better you feel about who you're telling your story to, the easier it's going to be to start to open up. And you do that little bits at a time, but love and accept yourself first and foremost and be patient with yourself before anything. The right person is going to wait for you and support you as you work through this. I hope that helps. Uh, That's fearful avoidant attachment style. In our next episode, we're actually going to get into dismissive avoidant attachment style. We're going to talk about what it is and how to work through it and how to get you to a place of secure attachment. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and don't forget today's a perfect day to ask yourself, what's next? See ya. Hey guys, it's Lisa and you're listening to What's Next with Lisa. Welcome to episode 22. Today's July 20th, 2020. And this is the third installment of the series I'm doing about attachment styles. And I wanted to do a series focused just on attachment styles so we could take a look at how we're attaching in relationships, what's working for us and what isn't. So welcome to episode 22. Um, Like I said, this is the third part. We're going to do one more about secure attachment coming up next, but we are going to um, talk today about dismissive avoidant attachment style. And people with this attachment style usually come off as fiercely independent, Um, but that independence usually stems from a really big insecurity and really low self-esteem. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about what it looks like, how to identify it, where it comes from, and then tips on how to work through it. But as always, before we get into it, let's get over to the official what's next question and answer. Hey, what's next? Okay, empty nexters. So on Friday's episode, I talked about fearful avoidant attachment style. And this question came up a couple of times. And it's also a question I tend to get a lot of in private practice. So here we go. Hi, Lisa. My partner definitely strikes me as a fearful avoidant attacher. He tells me all the time that he doesn't like sharing a lot of his feelings and especially when things get too deep. He pulls away sometimes, even for a full day or two, I won't hear from him. How much time should I give someone to get comfortable enough to share? And I think that's such a valid question because when we meet somebody that we click with and there's so many good things, 
you kind of don't want to give up on that person because you want to give them some time to form an attachment and to have this safe place where they can start to share with you. And don't forget with fearful avoidant attachers, a lot of times they start a relationship really strong because they seek that intimacy and closeness. It's just when emotions start to get too intense that they would withdraw a lot of times without warning. So what I would tell you my advice here is I want you to ask yourself is your partner actively working on this are they aware of it are they actively working on it and you guys are kind of working through it together or are you just allowing it and by that I mean if every time he withdraws and ignores you for a day or two and then comes back is it addressed are you saying Um, Are you saying something about it or are you just letting it go? And I can tell you that I hope that you are addressing it because I would say something like, hey, it looks like you needed some space because I haven't heard from you in a couple of days, but can we talk about how to make that feel a little better for me as well? And I don't think that that is an out of line question. And I think being in touch with your needs and what you want in a relationship is so important in this situation. And so I would say something to him like, I need someone in my life who can communicate about the tough stuff. How can I help support you with that so it gets a little easier for you? So what you're doing is you're identifying what you need and then you're identifying that you're willing to support him with that. Once you identify and say, how can I help support you with that so that's easier, your partner has a responsibility to work through that for you but mostly for themselves and to try to make your relationship stronger and to let you guys grow together. And if they aren't ready to do that, then, you know, I would tell you that it's your choice to say, is this something that I accept and I'm going to allow? Or do I need someone who's ready to work on their stuff and start communicating with me? Because you can't do it alone. So when you ask me, how much time should I give? I unfortunately I don't have a great answer for you other than this and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again because I think it's such great advice if you find that you're consistently breaking up with yourself to be with somebody else I think it's time to break up with somebody else and I think that the more you disconnect from yourself and the more you're made to feel like you're the problem or they're withdrawing from you the harder it's going to be on you to get out with a solid self-esteem and a sense of confidence about what you want and need. And don't forget how valuable and worthy you are. And so I would tell you just to kind of reflect. And if your person is acknowledged this and they're working on it, that's half the battle. So the questions I would ask then would be, how can I help support you with this? How can we do this together? That's okay as long as they're taking responsibility for it as well. You can't do it alone. So you've got to either accept that that's enough for you or accept and own the fact that you need somebody who's emotionally available. So I hope that helps you. If you guys have questions, email me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at what's next with Lisa. I welcome your feedback. I want your questions. I also welcome your ideas for show topics. So if you guys are struggling with something and want me to do a show about it, let me know what it is. I'm happy to structure a show around what people want to hear. So without further ado, let's get on to today's topic, dismissive avoidant attachment. Again, sounds like a mouthful, but let's start with what it is. 
So usually people with caregivers who encouraged a strong sense of independence at what we would consider a premature age, so pretty young, say three, four, five, um, for example, yelling at a three-year-old for crying because they hurt themselves and telling them not to cry, that is, that's encouraging a lot of independence and a lot of emotional maturity at a very young age. It's a lot of pressure. And so the caregivers that reward the repression of feelings, a lot of times pain, whether that be physical or emotional, they often create this, uh, well, a dismissive avoider. And they and their caregivers often have a hard time expressing their feelings. And if they have a hard time expressing their feelings or accepting that they have feelings, they're also going to have a really hard time receiving feelings. So if you come to them trying to be vulnerable and share your feelings, they're not going to be great at responding to those. They might ignore you. They might try to embarrass you or tell you that that's stupid because they have no idea what to do with feelings. They've been taught from a really young age not to have any. So the first thing, um, if we go through the characteristics of a dismissive avoidant attacher is that they are highly self-sufficient and they're really comfortable or excuse me, really uncomfortable depending on or even asking people for help. Like I said, they avoid displays of feelings ranging from PDA, so holding hands or kissing in front of other people or even in private, uh, all the way down to verbal expression. So they're really closed off with emotion because remember from a very young age, they had the parents that praised them for being tough or if they had emotions or had a bad day, the parents said, suck it up, you've got this. And so emotions weren't discussed in their household. Emotions weren't allowed to be had in their household. So now that they're adults trying to have a relationship, they have no idea what to do with feelings or intimate attachments. And so they also often tend to have a really high opinion of themselves and they're usually really critical of others. So sometimes that can come off as narcissistic. And But the difference between a narcissist and a, and a dismissive avoidant attacher is that the really high opinion of themselves or the criticalness of others, that is all a front for a really fragile ego and a hard time dealing with criticism. So they have a really hard time dealing with criticism. And if somebody criticizes or makes fun of them or makes them feel less than, Rather than knowing how to process that emotion, what happens is they go right back to that feeling of shame from childhood. So even the slightest things like, hey, could you shut the front door um, You know, when it's cold outside next time or I don't know, whatever, something simple like that, a simple request could absolutely make them be explosive or get take that really personally because you have to remember they've had caregivers and parents that may that minimize their feelings and made them think like they couldn't have any so it's a big protective measure you know and these people unfortunately don't prioritize their romantic relationships either because doing so would make feelings more important than uh just way more important than what they would want it to be right so feelings are way down low on the totem pole and if they were to prioritize a romantic relationship in their minds, they'd be putting themselves second, their hobby second, their friends second, and that's not okay with them. 
So they usually are people that put lots of hobbies or things that they do for themselves first and make you usually know from the get-go that you are second. And they're pretty verbal about wanting to be independent, which I think in today's day and age we think is is a good thing. And independence is a good thing, and I'll get to that in a minute. But too much of one one swing of not being dependent on anybody for anything is not healthy. But we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing they do is oftentimes they actually deliberately try to aggravate their partner. So for example, they might answer calls and texts from someone else but ignore your calls or flirt with others in front of you. And what that does in their mind, and a lot of times it's subconscious, sometimes it's conscious, but What that does is it keeps you, their partner, at arm's length. Meaning, remember, they're not prioritizing emotions or too deep of a connection here. They're always looking for signs that their partner may be controlling them as well. So just like we talked about with anxious attachers, that they're always on the lookout for someone who is losing interest. Um, And oftentimes anxious attachers can even make things up in their head, like take a little sign and overthink it and then get really anxious about oh gosh, this person doesn't want to be with me. However, the dismissers look for ways that someone might be controlling them or attempt to change them. And so a lot of times they'll actually make things up too, just like anxious attachers, because they are looking for a reason to connect those emotional dots. And if someone is trying to control their emotions, that takes them out of control. And that is something that's really difficult for them to deal with. So what do we do about this? If you're a dismissive avoidant attacher or you're dating someone that's a dismissive avoidant attacher, I've told you guys a million times, the first the first thing to change anything is that you have to acknowledge it. So you've got to realize that you're not relating to your partner on a healthy level. You also have to realize that it's okay to be independent We want you to be independent. I always say that relationships are 100-100. Each person hopefully brings somewhat of the best version of themselves to the table and complements each other. And so I want you to be independent. However, it is unhealthy to seek absolutely zero dependence on anybody for anything and to or to want someone to have any dependence on you. Because in a a healthy relationship, both people have to trust and lean on each other. And if you are dismissively avoidant or a dismissive avoidant attacher, you've got too much of a wall up around emotions. So you basically need to learn how to feel and know that that's okay. You have to realize that you've basically been programmed to see everyone as clingy. You think that everyone's out to control you, everyone's clingy, and your independence is threatened. And just because you think that, I'm going to tell you it doesn't mean it's true. So one thing I recommend to people who aren't quite sure if people are too clingy or or maybe think they're dismissive avoidant and so they don't know how to let somebody in, I always recommend to talk to a therapist or ask a friend, ask an objective friend or somebody's advice that you trust because a lot of times in these situations you can't trust your own opinion because you have been programmed to see everyone as clingy or out to try to control you. So try to, yeah, I mean, get an outside opinion, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, see what they think. 
And that brings me to my next point is that the best thing a dismissive avoidant attacher can do is try to form relationships with secure attachers. Anxious attachers, no good because anxious attachers can tend to be a little bit clingy for real. And so that can drive a dismissant avoidant attacher nuts. So trying to form relationships with secure attachers that can tell you what they need Um, you know, it's not guaranteed success, but it definitely helps. And, you know, which brings me to my last question. So what if you're dating somebody who has the style? The first thing I would tell you is to really try hard to avoid ultimatums, you know, ultimatums like you either talk to me or I'm leaving. You know, that's a direct threat in their minds, whether you mean it to be or not. And it's a really quick way to end the relationship because that's just super overwhelming and it's going to cause them to say then I'm out I don't need this you know I I recommend a therapist especially if you can acknowledge and identify what this is you guys a therapist is a really good way to help somebody with this kind of attachment style or history to work through learning how to let people in and trusting their own feelings because essentially the work lies in number one learning how to feel And number two, learning to trust and know that those feelings are okay. And a therapist is a great person to help you get in touch with that. So I I mean, I would highly recommend that. You know, the other thing that you can do is, as always, be in touch with what you need and speak objectively. So stick to the facts, I always say. Um, Remember that these type of attachers can be sensitive. So rather than saying something like, You never put any of my needs first. I might say something like, you know, we've been dating for six months and you haven't agreed to meet my friends. What do you need to feel comfortable to do that? Put the responsibility back on them. What do you need to feel comfortable to be able to do that? And that's where they're going to have a choice to either take responsibility for what they're doing or not doing. And then again, you have a choice on whether or not that's enough for you. And the most important thing and and the most important piece of advice I can give is that, like I said, to change anything, you first have to acknowledge it. And as soon as the person can acknowledge it, whether that be you or your partner, that's where the growth starts and that's where the work begins. And, you know, something I always recommend for a lot of my private practice patients that are having a hard time getting in touch with their feelings or don't know how to trust their feelings is I recommend getting a journal. And taking about 15 minutes at the end of every day and recap your day in feelings. Do that every day. And I know it sounds silly, but if you can sit and take a few minutes and recap your day in feelings, I think that's going to help you start to see and acknowledge exactly what you're feeling and exactly how often you're feeling things and if it made sense or not. Because writing things down and then reading it out loud if you can, that would be ideal. But that gives your brain something tangible to look at. And a lot of times we're so stressed and busy throughout our day that we don't even realize how many emotions or feelings we have throughout the day and we just kind of avoid and dismiss. And the best thing you can do to get in touch with them and learn how to accept and trust them is to start getting comfortable with them. And to do that, think about it every day. Just write them down. And you're not allowed to talk yourself out of your feelings. So when when you're writing about your day, start with the morning and say things like, I was really happy when I had my coffee. It tasted good. That felt great. I was super pissed when I got to work and nothing had been done. 
um, over the weekend. So that made me frustrated and stressed. Here's how I dealt with it. And if you can do take about 15 minutes at the end of your every day and do that, you do start to get more comfortable with A, allowing yourself to feel and B, what you are feeling. As always, though, in any relationship, you've got to be in touch with what you need. And so does your partner, you guys. You're each responsible for working on your own baggage and making sure it doesn't affect you in your relationship. You can't do it alone. So there we go. Dismissive avoidant attachment. On the next episode, we're going to get into the big one that we all strive for. What is a secure attachment? What does it look like and how do we get it? So thanks for listening, guys. If you've got questions, email me at whatsnextwithlisa at gmail.com. I want to know what you think. What do you need a little more explanation on? And I'll be happy to answer that and help. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And don't forget that today is a perfect day to ask yourselves, what's next? See ya. It's Lisa, and you are listening to What's Next with Lisa. Today is July 24th, 2020. Welcome to episode 23, and I'm so excited we made it to the fourth of my four-part attachment series. We are actually going to get into secure attachment. We are going to talk about what it is, how it feels, and then how to take care of it once you have it. And if you guys have been listening... Um, Like I said, this is uh, the fourth edition of a four-part series I've been doing, and I saved this one for last because in the previous three episodes, if you've been listening, you know I've been talking about attachment styles and patterns that we fall into as adults that aren't typically working, and they don't make for healthy relationships or secure attachments. So today we're going to get into what it should look like. You've acknowledged what's not working, you're working through it, you're being patient and compassionate with yourself, and so today we're going to make it to the finish line and say, what should a good relationship look like? But before we get into that, let's get over to the official what's next question and answer. Hey, what's next? empty nexters so today's question is from episode 22 where i spoke about dismissive avoidant attachment style and the question is hi lisa my girlfriend tends to shut down when she's upset and won't talk to me no matter how hard i try i'm trying to be supportive and patient but i don't know when to push and when not to what do you think And I think that this is, first of all, a really great question because it's really tough when you're discussing something or you get into a disagreement and your partner just shuts down and doesn't tell you why they're shutting down. Do they need space? Do they not know what they need? Do they not know what they're thinking? And so it's really hard to be a mind reader. I'm sure it's frustrating. But the first thing I want to remind you is that if she's dismissively avoidant attaching, Remember that those type of attachers don't want to prioritize their feelings or romantic relationships over themselves and their hobbies because they've been taught that feelings are low on the totem pole. They shouldn't feel things. So that means that she's not prioritizing your relationship, which then also means you, I would recommend that you've got 
a responsibility to say something to her to the effect of, you know, you shutting down and not talking to me makes me feel really disconnected from you. And we've been together X amount of months, say six months, however long you've been together. And I want to know when you'll be ready to open up. So you shift that responsibility back to her, making sure that you're speaking factually and not feelings. Because remember, dismissive avoidant attachers don't do super great with feelings. So keep it, stick to the facts and keep it simple and say, this is what I need. This is what's important to me. When are you going to be ready to give that? And I would say also... I'm just going to go out on a limb here, though, and say without knowing the the total history here and just reading your question, I can tell you that a lot of times when people shut down, when things get difficult or she's upset, she sounds like she's not comfortable sharing her feelings. And so when she's upset, she just might go inward and shut down, which could be a sign of somebody who's anxiously attaching. And what she does is she's holding things in for fear of not being perfect or fear of showing a flaw and maybe you won't like her. So she could just be really uncomfortable with not being, quote, perfect. Um, Either way, no matter what the reason is, the important thing to remember is that it's not working for you and you can't build a secure connection with somebody who won't talk to you. So it's your responsibility to say what you need and why that's important to you. And then it's her responsibility as your partner to listen And then tell you what she needs to maybe open up to feel safer opening up. Remember, you each have a responsibility to yourselves and the relationship in order to continue to make it grow. I hope that helps. If you guys have questions, email me at whatsnextwithlisa at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at whatsnextwithlisa. And I'm always open to feedback on the podcast. Let me know what show topics you'd like to hear. Let me know what you'd need some support with. Email me your questions or direct message me there. So without further ado, let's get into it. Today's topic, secure attachment. Whew, we made it. It's a big one and I feel like it's kind of an elusive one because a lot of us fumble around and stumble around with really crappy relationships, relationships that we thought were going to last forever and we don't understand why they didn't or why this person cheated or why we're not enough and all of these terrible things that we have to feel and go through and I can tell you that I am one of the number one offenders of unhealthy relationships And um, it took me a long time to figure it out. It took me a long time to connect to my worth, to connect to and believe in what I needed and also look for that in somebody else, not just hope and wish that they're going to change. And I actually said this to a friend just a couple of days ago, we were having lunch and she said, One of our other sort of mutual friends was talking about wanting to break up with her boyfriend. And she talks about that pretty consistently. I would say like every other month or so, she talks about why she wants to break up with them and when or him. And when she gives the reasons as to why she wants to break up with him, I always kind of sit back and and in my mind, I think, so to be clear, you're breaking up with him because he's the exact same person you met (laughs) and he hasn't changed. And I think she's secretly hoping for him to change or become this person um, that is different on some level. And on in some ways, I feel bad for the guy. And in a lot of ways, I feel bad for her because she's just really not connected to what she's worthy of. And she's such a kind, beautiful person. And I hope that 
she finds it within her to connect to what she's worthy of and understand that ending this relationship is probably a healthy thing for both of them because they both deserve somebody that can love and accept them as they are. So, you know, and with that being said, my point with that is that relationships are hard and I've said that a million times, but there are things that we can be aware of and acknowledge that can help us to find a lasting, secure connection. And the first thing I want to say is that a secure attachment in a healthy relationship involves two people bringing the best version of themselves to the table, meaning that healthy, secure relationships are not 50-50. It drives me nuts when I hear people say relationships are 50-50. Relationships are 100-100, which means that each person brings a responsible, best version of themselves to the table. That doesn't mean they're perfect. That means on a day that they need somebody to maybe kick in a little extra 20 that person has it to give because they've already put the work in on themselves to feel confident and secure. It is a give and take, but each person's responsible for being the best version of them. And again, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean everybody's perfect. And what I mean by that is that you've got to maintain a connection with yourself. And no matter how serious a relationship gets, I always want you being mindful of maintaining a connection with yourself first and foremost so you can maintain a healthy connection with your partner and I think a lot of times we often hear about I I see it all over Instagram and Facebook and a lot of different um, social media sites where it says you can only meet somebody as far as you've met yourself and I 100% agree with that and I think though there's another kind of layer to carve out and talk about on top of that, which means that you have to maintain a connection with yourself to maintain a healthy relationship. And that means tolerating time alone. That means looking at what triggers you, what activates your emotions. It means sitting with your own thoughts and feelings and making sure that you prioritize the inner connection to yourself, making sure you're responsible for your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and needs that you're not relying on somebody else to tell you what you should be feeling. Because just as a romantic relationship ebbs and flows and grows, hopefully over time, it's the same thing with yourself. And it's throughout all phases of your life, good times, bad times, confusing times, you have to love and accept and connect with yourself first before you're ever truly going to connect with somebody else. And it's when people struggle with this or they're not prioritizing that connection that actually your closest relationships, boyfriends and girlfriends, start to suffer because the things that show up when you have time alone allow you an opportunity to address those, take responsibility for those, work on those, and then come to the table ready to grow and love and share those with your partner the things that you don't address in the in your alone time or that you just let go and let that connection slide, those are the things that are going to sh- start to show up in what I call your intimate spaces or relationships. So those unaddressed things are going to start to come out as unhealthy patterns or ways that you're communicating with your partner that you're not going to like. So maintaining a connection with yourself allows you to process and take responsibility with for yourselves 
And it kind of draws like a line between you and them, but it's a healthy line because it's creating a space for a deeper connection to you, which means that you can be way more deeply connected to your partner. You are in, you can be in the present moment. You can say, I'm good. I've taken care of myself today. How can I take care of you? You can give what you have. And it's got to be the same for your partner, right? This isn't just work that you do on your own and hope for the best with your partner. You both should prioritize a connection to yourselves. And that's not selfish. That is smart. And that's something that I think a lot of times we forget. We put so much work into ourselves and then we just kind of assume that other people are doing the same thing. You've got to sit back and watch a little bit and make sure the person you're getting involved with is doing the same thing. They've got to do their own work. You can't do it for them. And yes, relationships should create joy and this basic need for human connection and all of those wonderful romantic things that we love to feel. They should not, however, make you happy. So, or complete you. That drives me nuts too. You complete me. And yes, I love the movie Jerry Maguire. I love it, love it, love it. However, in real life, a person shouldn't really complete you. And while relationships can fulfill some of our deepest needs for a connection and intimacy, they are exciting and they're fun and it's truly a gift. They're not going to make you happy if you're struggling with yourself or your struggle because that struggle is going to follow you into the relationship. Those insecurities, that lack of confidence, that's going to follow you right in. And that work is always going to be yours on an individual level. Always. Does that mean your partner can't pick you up when you're down and support you and encourage you? Absolutely not. I want you to have a partner that can do that. But that really deep connection to yourself of knowing your worth and being comfortable with your thoughts and feelings and needs, that's an inside job, guys. And you do yourselves, I mean, basically a disservice when you assume that love or a relationship will change that feeling of inadequacy or that feeling of loneliness. Because when you first meet somebody, it's all chemicals. It's all dopamine and adrenaline, and it's exciting. And it convinces you that, that can happen. This person can complete me. I can be happy. I just needed a relationship, which is why some people get addicted to just starting relationships and then and then leaving because once the chemicals wear off a couple of months in, it's not quite as exciting. But once you pass that chemical phase of that adrenaline and dopamine, there you are at that lonely, insecure place again if you've not been meeting yourself and connecting with yourself. And it becomes way more apparent when you are trying to have an intimate connection with somebody because you haven't met yourself fully. You're not connected to yourself fully. And until you're ready to accept that that is inner work that you've got to do throughout the course of an entire relationship, throughout the course of your entire life, that's how you start to get stuck in these unhealthy dynamics. And then it's these patterns that you repeat over and over and you say, why can't I ever find a nice guy? Why do I always find guys who are emotionally unavailable or who have commitment issues? Well, it's because you're not confident about what you're worthy of, what you want in a relationship. And so when you meet somebody who's emotionally unavailable, I think on some level, you probably see it as a challenge or you think, oh, they'll change or 
you know, they didn't really mean that. Yes, they do. And I'm not saying that you can't heal both in and out of relationships, but it means that I don't want you assuming that the relationship itself is going to heal you or complete you. It's not fair to put that kind of pressure on somebody else because that's always going to be your work. Just bottom line, that's always going to be your work. And that that being said, when you are in a relationship, as I've said annoyingly too much probably at this podcast, you're responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions and what you do with them. And that means that you can fully accept somebody else too, right? And commit to them. You're also comfortable in setting boundaries for their behavior. So you can love your person. You can accept that they have things they need to work on. You can love them unconditionally, love them for who they want to be. Because that acceptance, that acceptance is what we all crave in a relationship. You should give it to your partner. They should give it to you. You know, and it, it, I think it fulfills a really deep, basic human need to be seen, to be valid, and to be heard. And when that need is filled, that feels really safe and comfortable and very freeing, right? You feel like you want to be the best version of yourself. It inspires you. And, you know, there, it's almost like you don't even realize how much you crave it until you have it. And I would say that acceptance of your person and their flaws and what they need to work on is wonderful, but make sure that they're responsible for that work. You can, you know, one of the things a friend said to me a while ago, and it's always stuck with me, how well aware are you of your baggage and what are you doing to make sure it doesn't affect our relationship? Because that's really the bottom line. I'm not saying everyone needs to be perfect and you certainly don't have to accept less than or somebody who can identify what their growth areas are but they're not doing anything about it because it's ultimately going to affect your relationship adversely. The first step to changing something is acknowledging it but then you've got to put action steps into it. You can love and support somebody through their times of growth and I hope that they do that for you but never at the expense of your own mental health. And I think it's really easy sometimes to see our partner's flaws or see what we think they need to work on. And then it's also normal, because I've been preaching it, to value your own feelings about it. And it's, you know, it's in a, it's in an, I guess, a desire to be heard and to feel confident. And it's also sometimes almost kind of satisfying to hear it from friends or family or whoever's supporting you like, oh, yeah, they totally need to work on this. But the problem is that a lot of couples just get stuck there and they never move into that growth phase that I talk a lot about. So setting boundaries and speaking up about things and lovingly and and softly bringing things to your partner's attention that they may not see so clearly, that's actually a really healthy thing. That's okay. And assuming that if your person makes all of those changes and does everything that you see wrong, that your relationship is going to be healed and perfect, not healthy. Um, because and that what that does is that kind of makes you um, not responsible for you and puts it all on them. 
Because what that means is that you're not paying attention to your role or your growth areas as well. And that's not healthy. So obviously criticizing, attacking, shaming, making fun of, berating, mocking, all of those things, so unbelievably unhealthy. And seeing your partner as the full issue or it's totally them that needs to change, that's the issue. That's never okay. Relationships take two people. And, you know, we can allow our partners to influence us, but influence is... For example, valuing an opinion or sitting with it and feeling the sense of how it makes us feel, but taking responsibility where we can grow from it. That's what you guys should be doing with each other is discussing things, never being disrespectful, never making fun of, never mocking, never pointing out inadequacies or things you'd like to see changed in a negative or derogatory way. It means speaking up from a place of love and support And the couples that do well and move past this area of, I guess, arguing or disagreeing are the couples that make a commitment to grow together. It's the couples that can take responsibility for themselves individually and say, what can I do better for my, my partner today and what can I do better for myself today? And it's really about being accountable as individuals so you can come together and grow and make each other feel loved and secure and safe. And it's way easier said than done. But anything that feels chaotic and toxic probably is. And that's not a secure connection. You've got to trust your gut. And the other thing that we talk a lot about is that we need to get really honest with ourselves and being able to see somebody's wounds right as why they're acting the way they are so if you think your partner say is anxiously attaching or fearfully avoiding being able to identify that is definitely very important because it gives you a little perspective or a little window into why you shouldn't take maybe their behavior personally because it says more about them than it does you and I think it also allows you to open up and say gosh I kind of feel bad for my person That being said, though, seeing those wounds as just an excuse for their behavior or turning a blind eye to their behavior is essentially codependency and it's enabling that behavior because you've got to understand that having compassion and love and empathy for your partner that's struggling is very important. Understanding why someone behaves the way they do, also very important. But using it as an excuse to let them treat you in a toxic way and not take responsibility for themselves is never okay. And I feel like there's a lot of talk about creating softness around people and their behavior, people that don't serve us, setting boundaries, things like that. But honestly, I think more so we need to talk about where your accountability is in setting boundaries and honesty around what's happening. Because if you cannot integrate the wounds and behavior as self-destructing, if they're not doing anything about it, that's going to put you into codependence and survival mode. And codependency is a learned thing. A lot of people learned it through their family dynamics and a lot of people saw unhealthy behaviors and then disregarded those behaviors because the person was, say, a really good person or going through a rough time or that wasn't their intention. 
and it allowed the family to remain connected. But basically what it did is taught us how to bypass boundaries and stick around for behavior that's not serving. And so on some level, I think a lot of us as kids learned that staying connected was more important, even if it was destructive. And I'm telling you, I think that that's wrong. And if that rings true to you, I want you to be really gentle with yourself and understand that this is just a pattern that you need to unravel and where your accountability lies is in saying I can support you and love you through your time of growth and what you're working on but not at the expense of my own mental health not at the expense of my self-esteem and until you do your work I'm going to go over here Um, or I'm going to you know set a boundary and say I just can't I just can't do this right now. And that's a lot easier said than done. However, it really goes back to connecting with yourself and what you need. And a lot of times we hear, well, that says a lot more about them than it does you, which a lot of times is very true. But don't forget that you have a responsibility to yourself to put yourselves in situations that are healthy and safe and You've got a responsibility to take a look at your role in the behavior and understand if it's something you need to set a better boundary with or if it's something you need to walk away from. Because accepting someone, yes, sometimes you stay and you love and you accept and you grow in that. However, sometimes accepting means it's time for you to go and saying, I really accept this. But I'm going to accept it from afar as you work on it. I'm not going to judge you or make you feel bad for it. I'm just going to say that this isn't for me. And that's okay. Give yourself the freedom to do that. And the last point, one of the last points I kind of want to make about secure attachments is that I think we've got to come to a place where we start to understand that love is a process and it's something that ebbs and flows I think I've always said that love is a verb you know when I hear and I ask couples well why do you stay together and they say oh well I love him what does that mean love is a verb what are you guys doing to make a connection to form an emotional connection and how has that love been neglected and it really is a process and It's difficult to create um, an active process of love if we're not mindfully choosing it over and over again because that's what love is. You find a person that you want to forgive, that you want to talk to, that you want to walk forward with. You want to turn toward them rather than turn away. You push through the discomfort of past traumas and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this because I'm worthy of it and so are they. And really, it's about two people who make a conscious choice to be responsible for themselves, but also continually choose to come back to one another. And it really is, it's a beautiful thing. And if you give yourself the grace to go through the stages of a relationship, I think you'll find a lot of beauty in it. And something I always tell couples that I counsel is you don't marry who you love, you marry who you grow with. And really letting that growth be the strength that connects you, knowing what you want and need and being able to communicate that with your partner is your responsibility, your responsibility. They have a responsibility to do that for you as well. And then you find joy in meeting your partner's needs. 
That's what it is, guys. You choose yourself first. You learn and connect with yourself first. And then you grow with somebody who also chooses you over and over. You know, relationships should be something that you laugh in, that you embrace, that you create an environment of acceptance and you commit to growing in love, not just saying the words, which means that sometimes we grow up. Sometimes we grow apart. Sometimes our needs and our our wants change. And it's all about going to your partner and being able to talk about that and finding a compromise or a situation that works for both of you. Because remember, if you're disagreeing or if someone wins, then don't forget that that means your person loses. And I don't think in a real secure relationship you ever really strive to have your person lose. You don't want them to feel bad. You want the goal for to be for both of you to win, for it to be a give and a take. Some days you're at your best, some days you're not, which means some days they are and some days they aren't. It's a give and take, but it's so important to acknowledge your wounds from the past and empower yourself to heal and move forward worthy of love. Move forward worthy of a love that is secure in honesty and respect shared values, and always, always, always my favorite laughter. Find the cliche, find your friend, find somebody you can laugh with and be yourself. That is where the magic happens and that is a secure attachment. It's not perfect, it's perfectly flawed because it's something that you and your person make a conscious choice to create. So there's secure attachment, guys. If you've got questions, email me at whatsnextwithlisa at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram or Twitter at whatsnextwithlisa. Up next on, on my next episode, I'm actually going to be talking about grief, the stages of grief and how to process that and what how it looks so different for everybody. I think in these trying times right now, it's definitely a needed subject, um, some needed information and some needed love and support. So have a wonderful weekend. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And don't forget, today is a perfect day to ask yourselves, what's next? See ya. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me N-I-S-H-A-N-T-G-A-R-G dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again. Okay.